Bible reading tonight is from Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1, going, going through to verse 10. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man who was there was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree, a sycamore fig tree, to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you, Rami, for that wonderful reading of the passage tonight. So it's a bit difficult in our age of Google Maps and maps and GPSs to ever feel like we're lost anywhere. Uh, but the other last weekend, I was at Menai Park uh, with Jacob, you know, socially distanced, exercising amongst all the families. And I noticed there was a little boy, he was about six years old, just sitting off to the side on his scooter. He didn't look distressed, wasn't crying. I just remember having that thought in my head, oh, that is one confident kid. You know, maybe Jacob will be that confident one day. Um, later on, I, I noticed a, an older gentleman run behind me uh, to the skate park. I thought, oh, I wonder if he's looking for, for this boy. I kept my eyes on the kid, um, and a couple of minutes later, Uh, Another young boy, about seven years old, comes up to to the boy and goes, oh, there you are, we've been looking all over for you. And sure enough, a moment later, that that gentleman who was running before comes up behind that other boy and says, oh, here you are, where were you? We were looking everywhere. Why are you crying? It's okay. And I noticed just as that boy was picked up, put on his, his father's shoulder, you just saw his tears just start to cry. It was just coming out just at that moment. My heart broke because... I felt like, oh, I should have done something. Um, This little boy, six years old, he knew Menai Park. He wasn't lost because he he didn't know the geography. He was lost because he was separated from his family. He was separated from his parents. And that's what it's like to feel lost sometimes. It's not a geography thing. It's when we're separated relationally from the people close to us. And today's passage, we hear about Zacchaeus, who was lost. And if we're willing to admit it, we're lost too. So in verses, um, we're we're jumping in in this gospel about 
70% of the way through Luke's gospel. As part of what we call the travel narrative, biblical scholars have called it the journey to Jerusalem. For a bit of comparison, uh, in Mark, they, they talk about uh, going towards Jer Jerusalem in chapter 10, and then half a chapter later, they're at Jerusalem. But in Luke, you have 10 chapters of this journey to Jerusalem, where Jesus shares some of his most famous parables, like the one of the tax collector and, and the Pharisee. And, and we hear the, the lost parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. And you also have all these encounters Jesus has with uh, different people that, where he heals the ten lepers and you have this story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Because the people at the time were, it's, this gospel sometimes called the gospel, gospel to the outcast because the people at the time, they were expecting Jesus, the Messiah, to come and invite the religious elite, the powerful, the influential into the kingdom of God. But instead, Jesus invites those that others would rather hide and forget about, the outcasts, into the kingdom of God. And so here we have Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, where he would be uh, crucified. He's going through this town called Jericho. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. So Jericho, it's a bit of an oasis city. This is like the eastern suburbs of Israel. This is where King Herod built his winter palace because of the warm climate and the freshwater springs. This was, uh, in the Bible, it's called the city of, of palm trees. This was where all the well-off traders and elite uh, politicians would, would be. This is where you met them. So imagine walking down the streets of Double Bay and, you know, the sun shining, Trees are leafy. Everyone looks like they walked off the cover of Vogue magazine. Um, you even have this house here. I've got a picture of it. I found this. This was sold in April of last year in uh, Double Bay. The price of half a house here, see, it's not even a whole one, was $5 million. Half a house. And so Zacchaeus was a tax collector of a wealthy Jericho. Zacchaeus probably owned half a house. And so we, we've heard tax collectors, they're, they're not welcome anywhere. We've heard they've got a bad reputation. But to really sort of get a sense of what a tax collector was like, this wasn't a person working at the ATO. No, this was like, imagine parking in a timed spot and you're getting back there five minutes later to find a parking fine there. This is the sort of feeling people had towards tax collectors. Not only that, imagine a tax a council ranger driving around in a red Porsche, slapping fines on every single car they come across, and you, you knew that those fines were going towards paying off that Porsche. Tax collectors were detestable people because they were collecting taxes off their fellow countrymen to pay a foreign country, the, the Romans. And not only that, we have Zacchaeus here, who was the chief tax collector, the top dog. He's the one who sends out 10 parking officers while he sits in his ivory tower counting his money. This was, did I say they were driving Porsches? The chief tax collector was driving a Ferrari. And so Zacchaeus, wherever he went, he would get the sidewards glances. No one would really acknowledge his presence. He was shunned from his community. Even though he was a Jew, he was rejected by the Jews. And then we head into the familiar part of our story. 
verses 3 and 4. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. It's a familiar story for a lot of us because it's one of those children's stories. Kids relate to it. You know, they're short, they can't see over the crowd, so they think, oh, I'm Zacchaeus. But this was a story. The primary story here is we have a man who is lost, who meets his saviour. See, Zacchaeus wanted to meet Jesus, but he knew there was a crowd there. In Middle Eastern culture, in a crowd, they would generally move aside for the wealthy people, those with good standing in the community. But Zacchaeus, he had made his living off ripping off the community. So there was no chance of the crowd moving aside for him. So he runs ahead. And if you know Middle Eastern culture, they got flowing robes. You wouldn't run in public. But Zacchaeus does that. And then he also, in any culture around the world, you would not see a wealthy person climb up a tree. And so we have here Zacchaeus who runs ahead and he climbs a tree. He really wanted to see who this Jesus was. He needed to see for himself who was this Jesus. He's heard stories about this Jesus going through teaching, preaching about this kingdom of God. He's heard about Jesus who's, who's offended the Pharisees, the religious elite. He's been willing to put them offside. And so he's probably thinking, well, these are the guys who have told me, a, a tax collector, my whole life. Zacchaeus' stories he's heard is, hey, Zacchaeus, you are a traitor. You have no place amongst God's people. You are not welcome here. You don't belong. You are not one of us. So Zacchaeus needs to see, who is this Jesus? What sort of stories was he going to hear from Jesus? On the other hand, Zacchaeus isn't that sure because Jesus has also been teaching things like, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to the rich, because you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. So Jesus is on the side of the poor. Zacchaeus has spent his life taxing the poor. What would Jesus think of him? Would he be accepted? But then again, Jesus was also the one who hung out with sinners. He was the one who went and touched the lepers. Jesus was the one who invited the outcasts. Jesus was the one who invited Matthew the tax collector, to be his disciple. Where does Zacchaeus stand in all this? And maybe Zacchaeus had heard the parable that Jesus shared just a chapter before. If you flick back a page to Luke chapter 18, we have the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a, at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For the, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The self-righteous Pharisee here thought he was better than others. Pharisees in general thought they were better than others. These were the religious elites. 
These were the ones who, in their own minds, had like an imaginary scoreboard where they were at 100 and everyone else, tax collectors, were at zero. These were the ones who figured by their religious deeds, they were winning. These were the ones who looked at Zacchaeus and thought, they would scoff at the tax collector. You, you don't belong here. You've got to play by the rules. You can't be, even be praying at this temple. But Jesus, he is the one who invites the tax collector. Jesus is the one who, by inviting the tax collectors and sinners, is saying to the self-righteous Pharisees, you are wrong. He's saying that those who have dedicated their whole lives to learning the religious laws, you guys are rejected by God. And the tax collector, the traitor, is justified before God. This would have shocked his audiences. It would have shocked Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus may have gotten something right in his life for the first time. Something special was happening. This was a whole upside-down world here where the humble are exalted and the exalted are humbled. And so in verse 5 we hear, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I think Zacchaeus would have been chuffed that Jesus knew his name. Not traitor, not tax collector, not that short guy, but Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus in Hebrew actually means clean and pure. I mean, it's a bit ironic that this guy who spent his life ripping people off is called clean and pure. It's a, it's a bit like the, the bouncer in front of the club and, and you find out his name is called Bubbles. It's a bit ironic. But perhaps it's perfect because Zacchaeus is meeting the only one who could make him clean and pure. And it should bring us comfort that a person like the chief tax collector, the one you expect to be rejected because he's wealthy, he's got power, the, the one who's been taxing the poor, you'd expect maybe he's in the camp that gets rejected. But God's grace is so much greater than any sort of preconceived concepts we have of who deserves to be in and who deserves to be out. God's grace says there's no eligibility criteria that you must fulfill. God's grace extends to everyone, even Zacchaeus. And so in verse 6, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And that's in contrast to verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus was so excited to meet Jesus. But the crowds, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. So that term sinner, it's a bit different to how we understand it today. When we think sinner, we go, we're all sinners who have rejected our creator. But sinners in Jesus' time, was almost just a label that you gave to someone who had a bad reputation, who had some sort of immoral job like a tax collector. It was just a, a label to say, you don't belong, you're a sinner. And in those times, it was, even if you hung out with a sinner, you were as bad as a sinner. And so when Jesus says, come down, I must stay at your house today, this is such a, a contrast. I almost called this sermon Dinners and Sinners. Thought that had a nice ring to it. 
But meals in all cultures, really, it's more than just the meal. There's a relational connection there. It's sharing our stories. It's getting to know one another. It's an acceptance of one another. And so when Jesus, it's like a banquet. Imagine today just like passing around the bucket of KFC. Here, can I have some coleslaw? Oh, Jesus, you want a wicked wing? Oh, I'm not sure. You allowed that? That's, it's just, you know, it's a bit of laughter. It's, it's relational. And so when Jesus eats with Zacchaeus, there's an acceptance there. There's a connection there. But the crowd, they mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. That's like having the news report say, Jesus eating at Zacchaeus' house, but then you scroll down through the report and then you get down to the comments section. You know what you're going to read. Oh, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Gone to be the guest of a sinner. I, I wouldn't go to Zacchaeus' house. He's a sinner. Just over and over. Muttering. We all do it. It's a bit like this self-righteous attitude that I know better. See, these people who are meant to be the representative people of God, they resembled more of the self-righteous Pharisee than they did the repentant tax collector. And at the same time, we might think, oh, we're nothing like the crowd that mutters. We're not like the self-righteous Pharisee. You know, we don't compare ourselves to robbers and stuff. Like, I don't compare myself to drug dealers or criminals or corrupt leaders. That's not me, but it's more subtle than that. See, the comparison with the worst is not the problem. The comparison problem happens when we compare ourselves to anyone. When we become the gatekeepers of who belongs and who doesn't. When our interactions betray our hearts and our hearts would pray, thank you, God, that I am not like other people. We might not mutter with our words, but we can mutter with our actions. Our silence and separation speaks louder than any words could ever do. What do our interactions look like when someone joins the circle? Maybe it's a, a literal circle. Do our hearts lean towards them or do our hearts lean away from them? Do we judge them and say, we look at their, how they're dressed, or we look at their social status, or maybe we've heard about their reputation and stories about them that cause us to either lean towards them or lean away from them. Or do we understand that we are all recipients of God's grace? That we all receive this salvation that we never earned? Do we understand that we are sinners, all of us, you, me, no exception. And do we welcome one another? Do we welcome the outsider? Do we lean towards them? Because God's grace transforms. It transforms Zacchaeus' life, and we see just a radical response in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount what a radical response. This is a huge transformation. Half of his possessions to the poor. That's a huge amount. I mean, that, that would cause me to go, wow, that's heaps. Is, is that financially responsible even? But Zacchaeus' heart has gone through a dramatic transformation here. I was speaking to a pastor this week. I, 
I think he was a pastor from Indonesia. He's here to study at Moreland College. And he shared with me how he didn't even know he was persecuted while he was in, in Indonesia because it was basically the way things were done. Like, if you were a Christian, you, you just, it was just normal for you to not be able to find a job. It was normal for your family to reject you if you turned from Islam to Christianity. And I asked him, oh, so do people still get baptized? Do they become a Christian? He's like, yeah, they, they, we have to do baptism a bit more discreetly. And the women, they still wear their hijabs. But no, people still come to faith. And I heard about, I read this story recently about uh, Fatiri. So Fatiri was a, was a Muslim woman who turned to, to Jesus. Uh, and her two daughters were taken away from her by her family because she had become a Christian. And still her response is, Jesus is my path. Even if murdered, I won't return back to Islam because my faith is here in Christianity. See, when we follow Christ, we understand that our wealth is in the cross, where we can trust that the things that don't make sense to the world, where it's not, it doesn't make financial sense here, but it makes perfect sense in eternity because we have an eternal perspective, because we belong to God. Not only does Zacchaeus give radically, he also, oh, by the way, it's not a comment on how much Christians should own. There, are, there were wealthy Christians in the early church. This is a comment about us being transformed to see that everything we have is for the glory of God. But Zacchaeus here, not only does he give generously, he reconciles with those he has wronged. Not just 20% according to the, the law at the time to you know, give an extra 20% to those you've wronged, but an extra 400% to reconcile with those he's cheated. That is massive. See, when it comes to reconciliation, I grew up being sort of the instigator of problems in my household. I have two older sisters and one younger brother, and 95% of the time when there were tears, I was involved in some way, shape, way or form. And basically, the way I learned to reconcile was after an argument, just seethe and boil and let it just simmer there until it just went away. And then once it's all gone, just press all those buttons again and do it all over again. Um, and so when I became a Christian and, and the Spirit prompted me that oh, I sh should apologize, my siblings were a bit confused whether it was some sort of trick or I was being authentic. See, no one likes to say sorry, but we have a God of reconciliation. We have a God who has forgiven us. And so in our relationships, are we the first to initiate saying sorry? Are we willing to forgive others? Are we willing to go to whatever lengths to, to admit we're wrong? So what has happened? Because we don't hear the conversation that Zacchaeus has with Jesus during this time, but we get an indication of what has happened in the following verse. Verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. What's happened? Salvation has come. This radical transformation, this response from Zacchaeus, has happened because salvation has come to this house. And why has salvation come? Is it because he's done a good deed where he's decided to give away his money? No, it's because this man, verse 9, because this man too is a son of Abraham. 
son of Abraham. That doesn't mean much to us. I could be you know, some descendant of some emperor of China. That's probably more likely than me having cousins in the Middle East. But the son of Abraham, for, for people in, in that time, it meant that you were a child of, of the promise. And so in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, we read, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, it was a, a simple thing. It was like algebra, A equals B. For the Jews, if you are a descendant of Abraham, if Abraham was your great-great-great-grandfather, then you were an inheritor. You inherited the promises of God. You were the people of God. But it turns out, well, in fact, well, that's not the case. See, if you read that verse again, it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. See, it's not dependent on whether you descended from Abraham, but if you belong to Christ. See, imagine if, as Australian citizens, whether through birth our parents were Australian citizens or we were born here ourselves, you know, we have certain privileges. We, we get to uh, have Medicare. We get an international passport. We get a cheer on, Ash Barty, congratulations, go Wimbledon. Um, these are all privileges of an Australian citizen. But imagine going to apply for your international Australian passport and, they, and you have the conversation with the officer, and the officer says, oh, everything looks good, but you can't have a passport because you're not an Australian citizen. And then you clarify a few more things, and he's like, yeah, I've checked all the documents. You, you don't qualify. You're not an Australian citizen. You'd be like, whoa, wait a minute. I was born here. My parents were born here. My grandparents were born here. How can I not be an Australian citizen? And then he replies, it's for those who belong to Christ who are a citizen. This is the significance to the Israelites to hear that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. See, it's not, it's not by descendants of Abraham through a bloodline, but through faith in Jesus Christ. See, Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, has been called Zacchaeus, the son of Abraham. Zacchaeus, like the lost boy in Menai, separated from his family and parents, is now found Zacchaeus, who was shunned by his community, is now invited to the table to eat with his saviour. Zacchaeus, the one who was declared a traitor to his people, is now a member of God's family. And so for us too, this means, if you see there in verse 26 of Galatians 3, it says, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. See, if we belong to Christ, we become spiritual descendants of Abraham, and we become inheritors of the promise that we too are God's people. As Dom Toretto would say, I don't have friends, I've got family. See, our family is so important. When we become a Christian, we become the family of God. Whenever we meet another Christian, they are our brother or sister in Christ. The church gathering is a family gathering. When we become a follower, we are joining God's family. And so when I hear people say, oh, I, be, I believe in God, I want a relationship with him, but I, I don't want to be a part of the church. That's not for me. I just want to, just me and God. How can you be a follower of God? How can you be a member of God's family without being a member of his family? You can't be a Christian without the church. And so we come to the final verse here. Verse 10, 
back in our, in our passage. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. See, the, this travel narrative, this journey to Jerusalem, the center point was chapter 15, where you have all the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. But here, the climax of this journey to Jerusalem is not another parable. It's the life of Zacchaeus, a tax collector, the chief tax collector, the ultimate traitor being welcomed into the family of God. See, Zacchaeus was lost. He had wealth, but he had no inheritance amongst God's people. He had career achievement, but he was not satisfied. The what of the things we can gain and have, none of that ever makes sense without knowing the who. And for us, we won't find purpose in our possessions. There's no security without God. No achievement or legacy or reputation can ever save us. Those things are like a, a mirage in the desert. You chase after them and then you get them. You get there. You have those things and then you realize it's just you know, sand through our fingers. By the world's standards, we should be full, but we feel empty inside. There's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one who came to seek and save the lost. That means you and me. That means everyone, everyone else has written off. People who are different to us and also people who are exactly the same as us. Because we are all sinners in need of grace, in need of God. In our story today, Zacchaeus, he climbed a tree to see Jesus. Perhaps you've logged on to this service online for the first time. Maybe you're willing to look ridiculous to find out more about Jesus. Maybe you'd be willing to ask a friend about Jesus. Because no one's written off in Jesus' books. He invites everyone to the table to eat with him, to eat with one another, because he came to seek and save the lost. By his death and resurrection, we are all invited to become a part of God's family. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. We thank you that the invitation goes out to all who are lost and Lord, we pray that we would be people who accept the invitation, who belong to Christ Jesus, who trust in his death and resurrection for our sins. We pray that we would be a people who welcome one another, who welcome the outsider, the outcast. We pray that we would respond in faith, that you would continue to transform our hearts from the inside out. All for your glory. Amen.